talking about today, um, let's, let's have some fun with it. Because um, I, I think if you're a believer here this morning, it's, it's going to sting a little bit. Um, there's, there's some things that Peter says here that right away you're going to be able to say, yeah, um, I've, I've experienced that. And uh, if you're not a believer here this morning, this, this is probably an opportunity for you to say, ah, that's, that's why I felt some tension when I was with those Christians and I felt something was wrong. And uh, maybe, maybe this is, this is going to answer some questions for you this morning and, and help you understand. Here's what I hope it's going to help you understand. Um, I've always said, and I've said this to every one of my class, classrooms, um, every one of my students, if you want to just follow a religion, don't follow Christianity. It is the hardest faith to follow faithfully. Okay, that's why, that's why I think God gives us his Holy Spirit, because we can't manage it on our own. It, it, it absolutely goes against instinctively what we want to do. Um, that's, that's what makes Christianity, um, I think, so real, so divine, so heavenly, so, you know, so authentic, because what it demands of us is something beyond our own ability. And, and, and part of this passage is going to talk a little bit about, about what that's all about. So if, if, if you want a real connection to God, I think that's the, the wonder of Christianity, is, is that it is, it is that, that direct connection to God. But when you enter the sphere of the divine, right, that's going to do something to us as human beings, right? It's going to do something to us. So we're going, to, we're going to dive into this passage this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about suffering and then some other like uh, uh, rudimentary things. So we're beginning to read at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. And he starts by saying, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange were happening to you. So he's, as he's writing to all these persecuted believers and Asia Minor, he's saying, hey, you should not be surprised that this is actually happening to you. Instead, be very glad, because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it is displayed to all the world. Be happy. (laughs) Be happy if you are insulted for being a Christian. Be happy if you are being insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God will come upon you. Hallelujah. Yeah. A- amen. Um, can I insult you for being a Christian this morning? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, I can get off the stage now. Great. You got it all. Great. You know. Um, suffering. Um, the passage talks about suffering. What's, what's interesting is that, is that Peter, Peter gives, gives in this passage that we're going to look at, he gives legitimate reasons for suffering and illegitimate reasons for suffering. Um, I think many of us um, get the two confused sometimes. He says it's absolutely legitimate for you to suffer as a Christian. Okay? I think biblically, we're going to give you two points here. Biblically, there are two legitimate sources that are acceptable for suffering. Number one is our faith. As a Christian, Jesus said, they persecuted me, 
They're going to persecute you as well. That our faith does something. Um, it's, it's amazing to me, the Gospel of John, that, that, that John writes at the very beginning that Jesus is the light of the world. And the light comes into the world. But men prefer darkness. People prefer darkness. And that light does something to that darkness. It exposes it. And because of being exposed, people don't like it. And a minute, minute, immediately what happens is we become a target because we are light. We are the people that expose that. We live differently. We think differently. We act differently. At least we're supposed to. And when we do that, it, it's like the natural tendencies that we have as human beings. It goes against everything. Is it easy to forgive? No. Do we want naturally to get payback? Yeah. Is it easy to hurt someone who's hurt us? Yeah. And yet, as a Christian, we're to forgive. We're not to pay back. We're not to want to hurt others. But because we are what we are, often we get attacked for it, our faith. And in fact, Peter says that if you are a believer and you're being persecuted in that way, you actually should be happy about it. That In fact, that's a source of joy for you. I don't think I've ever had anybody come into my office and say, Pastor, I am really joyful because I'm getting it at work. Pastor, I'm really... I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm really joyful because I've been ostracized by my whole family because I'm a Christian. That's, that's a really different definition of being joyful, isn't it? Right? That's a really different, you know, and how many of us would say, wow, you know, because I'm being, you know, ostracized in this way that I should be joyful because now I'm experiencing a little bit of what Jesus experienced and that's my life. That's my life. That's, that's, a, that's a little difficult to, to kind of take, isn't it? Yeah. Right? To live in that, in that kind of joyful expectation. The only other legitimate uh, biblical reason for suffering is our fallen world. You know, we suffer because of our fallen world. And I've said this many, many times, that, that, that sin has permeated everything about creation. Um, you, you know, health is a big a big one. There's many, many people who are suffering because of health. Many people who are suffering because the greed of our world. I'll tell you right now, a lot of what is happening economically in our world is from one thing and one thing alone as far as I'm concerned. That's greed. Okay? Um, we live in a world that if the profit margins aren't greater than the last quarter, people are losing their jobs. It was no, it's no good anymore. When I was in business school... It was, it was okay, it was okay to, have a, to, to keep all your employees, keep all your facilities open, um, make sure you're paying your bills, and if you made a little bit of a profit, you were considered in really good situation, you know, good situation, right? Nowadays, that's not how it works. Nowadays, if the, if the you know, the, this quarter... Isn't, isn't much more profitable than the last quarter, it doesn't matter if you're paying your bills. You can lay off people. 
You can, you can close down plants. You can move to other parts of the world. That's not the priority anymore. The priority is, is about the numbers. It's not about the product. It's a whole different world that we live in. Right? Whole different world. Did I just... Okay, sorry. That's, that's just business, right? Okay? That's just business. So we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And, 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 and because of that, that creates a lot of suffering in our world. A lot of suffering in our world. Okay, did you know, by the way, did you know that um, there's an, been appeal to the UN um, by atheists um, that they're being persecuted around the world? Yeah, did you know that? Because, because in certain countries, um, you can't live in that country unless you adhere to the faith. So if you're an atheist, you're persecuted because of that, because you're not a person of faith. It's a funny world we live in. <laughs> you know, so, so uh, I, I just read recently that, there, that there's this appeal, and, and there's other countries around the world that are appealing to the UN, saying that we are such a country, this is our faith, this is our religion, to live here, you have to adhere by our, by our faith, by our religion. And atheists and, free, and, and called free thinkers, too, are, are, are being persecuted because of that. I think that's really comical. I don't know. I don't know about you, but that's the way, that's the way of the world, all right? And, if you, and, and I just read, too, there's, there's persecution happening in China right now. There's persecution happening in Ethiopia of Christian believers. And they're trying to close down house churches. There's all kinds of stuff going on. All kinds of stuff going on. Really difficult stuff, right? So our fallen world is causing suffering. Our fallen world is causing suffering. And our faith is causing suffering, okay? But when we identify ourselves... With Jesus, Peter here is telling us to be joyful in the midst of it. Okay? Now, he's going to turn the tables on us a little bit here, and I want to read this next section, and here we go. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his wonderful name. Now, by the way, this is one of, the, one of the three times in the New Testament that the word Christian is used. Um, Christian in the first century was a derogatory term. You are a Christian. Okay? Kind of like what's happening today. Um, um, for the time has come for judgment, and it must begin first among God's own children. And even if we Christians must be judged, what terrible fate awaits those who have never believed God's good news. And if the righteous are barely saved, what chance will the godless and sinners have? So, if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you. And I love this last line, for he will never fail you. He will never fail you. Is it fair to say that people will fail you, but God won't? We've all experienced people failing us, right? We've all experienced how that happens. But God won't. This is a culture that Peter is talking to. It's a culture of honor and shame. And Peter is using this to, to, to shame someone in that culture was not a good thing. 
People, people took their family name seriously. They took their, their, their what they did seriously. They did how they contributed to the community very seriously. And to put shame on that was not a good thing. And yet Peter says, you know, don't experience shame because of you being a Christian. All right? You know, our actions are never to bring shame to Jesus. There's two things in the modern world that the church, I think, has, has struggled with that brings shame to Jesus. And I think is our lack of unity as churches. Our lack of unity as churches and what we do to each other. We should never eat our young, as, as, as the old saying goes. Okay? Shouldn't eat our elderly either. Right? We shouldn't eat anybody in church. I, I know. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little cannibalistic, right? Um, but the, I think those are the two great failures that we have as, as churches over the centuries. We have not demonstrated a sense of unity in what we believe in in Christ. And we tend to hurt each other. We tend, for some of us, the greatest source of suffering and pain is each other. And that's, that's problematic. That's problematic. I think, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up and I'm just going to look at verse 15. This, I tell you, I, I got in my office and hit uh, verse 15 and wow, I said, what am I going to do with this? Let's, let's read it again. If you suffer, however, I think, I think Laura, I got it on one on the next screen just by itself. If I just move up, thanks. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Now, I don't know about you, but that stopped me dead in my, in, in my tracks. I said, why would Peter put these four things here? He says, if you suffer, if you're a believer, don't. These are the four do-nots, okay? Some of these make sense, I think, right off the bat. Like, don't murder makes sense. But I'm going to hopefully help to unpack a few of these. I think think before I even get into this, we know we're going to go into a little bit of uncomfortable territory. Okay? Because for some of you, just, just reading this on its own is, is causing you a little bit of tension. Either, either you can point at somebody that you've experienced this with, or you're pointing at yourself. Okay? So, Peter, like I said, doesn't mix his message. He's being very, very straightforward. Here, is, here are a people who are being persecuted for their faith. And he says, if you're going to suffer, you better suffer for the right reasons. Okay? Make sure you don't suffer for these reasons. So, let's, let's do the four do-nots, okay? The very first one is do not take a life, right? Murder. Um, this is a no-brainer. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, but in a culture where they're being persecuted, where they're where they're 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 having to sort of protect themselves from others who want to kill them, Peter says, "Whatever you do, don't 
murder back. Don't kill another human being. Again, one of the Ten Commandments. He's appealing to one of the Ten Commandments, one of the, one of the, you know, the, the Ten Laws that God instituted for humanity. And again, this is a, a no-brainer. We would never advocate murder. The killing of another, a taking of another life. And the taking of a lo- another life is because that person is the image of God. And to take a life is, is not correct. It's not, it's taking part of the image of God away from somebody else. Okay? It's, it's a theological reason. If, if you don't, uh, if you don't, uh, want to understand what it is behind kind of like the theological reason for doing it, right? The second one is kind of obvious too, you know, don't steal. So the second one is do not take what is not yours, stealing. In the Ten Commandments, when it says do not steal, the Ten Commandments are like a, 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 a human rights document. People have a right to what they work for and what they have You have no right to take what is somebody else's. Okay. Doesn't stealing bother you? I, I, okay. How much of our world would change? How much of our world would change if just this one commandment was honored? Think about it. Just this one command, how much would the world change? How much do we pay others to protect us from others. Insurance, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Alarm at the house, like, come on, lock the doors. You can't even park at church without locking your car. We want to, we'll take no responsibility. You know, like, like seriously, I don't, you know, it, it's, a, it's one of those deals where we live in the culture so much we, we don't recognize just how much we protect ourselves from ourselves. How much different would the world be if we just honored this one command? Don't steal. I don't know about you. I've had everything stolen in my life. I've had, I've had cars. Darlene and I have had our vehicle stolen. We've had our house broken into. Um, I've had, uh, in fact, I was giving a speech at a wedding, and Darlene was sitting uh, right beside me, and somebody was stealing money of our, out of our account in the early days of the banking machines when they were first starting, and we were told by the bank that's impossible, but, but we, we have the time, that they, and the banks would do anything. Anyway, I had that happen. We had that happen. I was supposed to, I've had my identity stolen. I, I had, uh, had a, a lawyer and a and a private investigator come by our house because there was somebody who was using my name living in the north of Toronto and they had got all these credit cards and we were even mortgaging a house and, and he was and I said, My name? Guy crazy? Right? Why couldn't he just, you know? Right? So yeah, because there was one I can't remember, I went to the bank and anyway. But I've had everything stolen. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. 
the violation of that is unbelievable. I don't know if you had anything personal stolen. But imagine, imagine, imagine what the world would be like if we just took this one commandment and changed and not stole. What difference would the world... But we live so comfortably in this world where we've got to protect ourselves from each other. You know, it's, it's the joke in Bible college, by the way, is you know the thing gets stolen the most in a Bible college? The Bibles. <laughs> Bibles get stolen the most of anything in a Bible college, which is just <laughs> crazy. <laughs> crazy, I know. I know. Right? So never tell anybody at a Bible college that your Bible's on your iPhone. Anyway, sorry. Forget it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Number three, do not take another's right to peace, making trouble. One, one, one of the human um, Old Testament rights is the right to peace, that people have the right to live in peace. If you're a troublemaker, <laughs> troublemaker, um, in the Greek it means an evildoer, mischievous, loves to create chaos. Do you have somebody like that in your life, by the way? Loves to create you know, the drama, Dra you know? How much, how much of your life, oh wow, I'm going to get in so much trouble here. Oh, this is, you know what? I, I get, like, I'm going through this passage, and you can't help thinking personally about these people in your, in your life, right? Like, what people are troublemakers? And I started listing the categories of people, right? And, 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 and just think about the categories, right? If, if you've got somebody who's excessive with the drama in your life, right? And I don't, I, okay, it's just, it's just one of those things. Um, how much more complicated does your life become because of them? Does it, doesn't it kind of get a little bit more complicated, right? Can we all nod our heads together? Yeah, yeah, you know it. You know it. Don't, like, don't send me emails, okay? You guys know this stuff. It's reality. It's truthful. It's like, you know, sorry. We've all, we've all experienced, you know, those kinds of people. Um, have you ever experienced a toxic person in your life? Oh. A toxic... You you've experienced a toxic person in your life. They get in, into your life, and somehow they just poison it. They just poison it. How many of us have that person in our lives where you say, if that person wasn't in my life, how much less complicated would my life be? Right? We have a right to live in peace. And I'm not saying that we just, we, we, you know, everything's politically correct. I'm not saying that we don't debate. I'm not saying that we don't have conflict from time to time. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But when, when, when did it stop? When did it stop that we couldn't even confront each other about simple truths and debate things and talk honestly about it and, and then get on with our lives? When did that stop? When did that stop? But Peter says, don't, don't cause trouble. Don't make things worse than they already are. Remember, 
Our fallen world and our faith already causes us the potential to suffer. There's people suffering all, you know, in this congregation alone, if you knew everything that's happening to people, health, relationships, jobs, all that, there's enough here to keep us busy and to keep us prayerful and to keep appealing to God, let alone other stuff happening that's just, that's just toxic. Is that fair to say? And you know, I think that's why Jesus propelled us so strongly to care for one another. Because there's enough stuff in just living life to keep us filled with anxiety. But don't be a troublemaker. Um, uh, you, you know, just, just victims, people who are always victimized by everything. You ever have a person like that in your life? You know, I'm just going off the top of my head, categories of people that, it, you know, um, if it makes you feel better, you can stand up and tell me who yours are, you know. Um, anyway, but, um, but, you know, this is what, what, you know, he doesn't specify the troublemaker. That's, that's what I find interesting. He just says, don't be a troublemaker. All right, can we hit the last one? Do you guys still love me? Um, listen, prying into other people's affairs, do not take by force what another will not give you freely. Do not take by force what another person doesn't give to you freely. The Greek word, the, the Greek word is one word here, this pry into another person's life. It's just one, one Greek word. It means a meddler. It means a busybody. One who interferes... Um, it can even mean an informant or a spy. Um, it's, a, it's a person who meddles in things that do not concern them. In the Greek, it's a compound word, a person who wants to oversee what belongs to someone else. Okay? Um, you know, the, the, the type of person I thought of was a controller, a person who wants to control your life. Okay? Um, now, Darlene and I have a, a general rule as, 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 as a pastor, as a pastoral team. We have a general rule when it comes to people. We do not invite ourselves into a person's life. We only invite ourselves into a person's life to the degree that they allow us to come into their life. Okay, that's just a general rule we have with everybody. We allow ourselves into a person, if we ask questions, if, if we start to ask about their lives and they shut us down, that's it. Okay, now as, as a pastor, I'm forced in many instances to uh, speak into somebody's life. That's a whole different deal, but on a general, as a general principle, we only interact as much as we are invited all right? Now, that's a tricky thing. It is a tricky thing. Um, this is the only time this is used in the New Testament about prying into another person's life. I don't know about you. I read that, and I got really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. Because isn't that... Can I talk to church people for a minute here? Right? Isn't, isn't this what we're taught 
about fellowship in the church, that it's all about sharing each other's lives? Isn't that what we're taught? Isn't that what we're um, supposed to be as a fellowship? Isn't it all about being open and honest with the others and, and, and all of that stuff? How many of you, okay, I'm, I am going to ask for hands in that. How many of you in the church have been hurt because you've been open and honest? Come on, you chickens. Right? Okay. Don't we have to be careful here? Don't we have to be careful? Does it mean, does it mean being in a fellowship that we have to be open and honest to everyone? Or does it mean just open and honest to who we're comfortable with? Who, who are the type of people who understand us, demonstrate love towards us, demonstrate um, that they're not going to hurt us? Okay? I told you. This was going to be hard, right? Um, it doesn't mean that we ignore wanting to care for one another. It just means to be careful how much we delve into another person's life. And if we try to, and, and, and the word pry is very appropriate here because we're trying to take something from someone that they don't want to surrender to us, okay? They don't want to surrender to us, okay? And here's the really important, important thing about being a Christian, all right? Here's the really important thing about being a Christian, and I think what summarizes this entire, and I'm, I'm going I'm to end quickly before I get in more trouble, because this is a hard, hard passage. Here's the thing. You have to ask yourself four questions as a believer when you're interacting with somebody else. Number one is, am I affirming? Okay? Am I affirming? Do I acknowledge who they are and see them as a child of God and see them made in God's image? Am I affirming? Secondly of all is, am I encouraging, right? We need people around us. And again, I've I've said this a hundred times. Encouragement is the spiritual gift that is probably the most, is lacking the most in the church, I think. Okay? Encouragement doesn't cost you anything. Encouragement doesn't take any special training. Encouragement doesn't take a special time of day. Uh, encouragement, um, anybody can do it anytime, any place, anywhere, whatever. It's the easiest thing to do, and yet it's the last thing we want to do for many of us. And yet encouraging, encouragement um, just, just changes a whole person's perspective. You can have a rotten day and have one person say something encouraging to you, and that just frames the whole day, doesn't it? The encouragement makes all the difference in the world. And encouragement doesn't mean you stay where you are. I want to help you. I want to carry you to something better. That's what biblical encouragement is all, all about. So we firm the person for who they are. Encouragement moves them to the next stage, the next, the next place that they need to be. 
And we help carry them. In fact, the Greek word means to put that person on my shoulder and to carry them with me. That's what it means. Thirdly, is am I truthful? And I don't mean truthful so you're just, <clears throat> right? Truthful in the, in the sense that, that, that they don't feel that you're being dishonest with them about reality, that you're there alongside, but you're helping them take those next steps. But to be truthful, okay? You're not being a frenemy. You're being a friend, all right? Truthful. And here's the fourth thing that I think is really important for Christians, very important for Christians. And I think what, what Peter is, is very much talking about is am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? I think many of us, if, if we're to say, why, why is so-and-so my best friend? It's because I think one of the things you can say about that person is because they're safe. I can be whoever I am. I can talk about whatever. I can, I can say whatever. I can, I can express how I feel whatever. But I'm safe with that person. Really, really important. Those are the four things. I had a whole ton of stuff, and I, I can't. I'm going to cut it short because we're already 10 to 12, okay? Um, I am, I am going to cut it short. But it, it brings me back. It, it brings me back to communion, that if you love Jesus, then, and if you look at this list, if you look at what we've talked about, if you look what Peter is is admonishing these persecuted believers to follow faithfully. What difference is it going to make in your life? What changes does that demand of you in your life? That if you love Jesus, then fill in the blanks. And I think for many of us, it's going to be a hard look in the mirror. I think for some of us, it's going to be, you know, changing something that, that tomorrow demands a new outlook in the way that I proceed with things? But ask yourself those questions. Am I affirming? Am I encouraging? Am I truthful? And am I most of all safe? Let's pray together. Father, You know, we say to love Jesus, but in reality, to love Jesus isn't enough, that it demands something from us. And Lord, as we think and contemplate about that, it should demand of us a different way to live. That Lord, what this passage talks about is that we should never be the source of someone else's suffering. That there is enough in this world for people to suffer from. And as believers, we are to demonstrate an incredible love and an incredible gift that's been given to us that should motivate us to be so different. And because of that, would draw others to yourself in such a way that our world would be changed. And Lord, there's some uncomfortable things here. And I think many of us have 
are, are able to resonate with people in our own lives or things, experiences where we've seen exactly those things happen. But Lord, we pray that this week we would reflect on our own lives and ask, ask ourselves, if we truly love Jesus, then, in his name, amen. Thank you.